When I started on, on IP uh, 30 years ago, um, I would say it was very plain discussions on the, on the issues, less, less complicated than today. Um, and, and probably what is at stake is we, we have um, economies that are more in, interconnected. Uh, we have uh, um, development uh, projects that are more different one to another. We have integration uh, programs uh, um, that are working well in certain regions and less well in others. Uh, you have the complexity of the multilateral legal system, uh, and all those elements are layers that add complexity to the yeah. discussions. So it's not as black and black and as and white as it was probably 30 years ago. It's more and more complex, but certainly that is what make IPA feel that is more and more uh, interesting. That was Marco Aleman, Assistant Director General at the World Intellectual Property Organization. I am Rodolfo Rivas, and this is my podcast. Thank you for listening. As I promised, we are planning to deliver more episodes this season. Here is our latest. In my conversation with Marco, we cover a lot of ground. He starts by talking about growing up in Colombia and how his interest in public service had its roots back then. He tells us how he got interested in the law and intellectual property, a new subject at the time. Marco describes his experience working for Colombia's Industrial Property Office and how he eventually got to Geneva and WIPO via Munich and the Max Planck Institute. From there, we discuss his new role at WIPO, which focuses on innovation ecosystems and assisting SMEs in commercializing IP. It was a great conversation where we touched on many topics as well. I hope you enjoy it. Please listen in. Hello, Marco. Thank you for accepting my invitation. How are you today? Many thanks, Rodolfo. I'm very happy to be here with you today and, uh, and to be part of the Rodolfo Rivas project. <laughs> Thank you very much. Actually, I've, I've talked to several Colombians already, so I'm, I'm glad to talk to you. And maybe can you tell me a bit about uh, growing up in Colombia? Great. I know you have uh, uh, a lot of friends from Colombia, some of those also friends of mine, so we have a, a number of common friends. Well, growing in Colombia is quite um, a, an experience, and in my case, a particular one, because I come in from a small town. Um, and where? where is Corozal is uh -huh. a town in the north part of the country, by the Caribbean side of the country. Um, and that is something that is reflected in the culture of the region, this Caribbean spirit is um, quite clear in terms of um, food, um, people attitude, quite open, quite, um, quite um, I would say, um, interested in engaging in conversations and, and uh, quite friendly people in, in, in and happy people in general. Uh, being able to grow in a small town like this has a lot of positive things. One of the most, in my view, uh, positive things is somehow kids are 
the sons of the community. Um, everybody feel has a responsibility with the upbringing. With, yeah, absolutely. And, and they feel quite, uh, I would say, ready um, to intervene and to call your attention when something is going wrong, or when you when you are doing something that is just not appropriate, or, or or to call your to call your parents and let them know, well, look, this was behaving in that way or in another <laughs> way. Um, so somehow this um, feeling of community is more intense in a small towns than in big ones. That that is a in my view a huge difference. Yes. And the second one is this. Um, very active interaction since you are very young, not only with your generation, but with, with people from other generations, I mean, including all people. So you, you get together um, in a very informal manner and you interact with different ages. Uh, that somehow helps you to grow up yeah. uh, faster um, and with a sense of responsibility that is also higher. And, and in my view, these two elements are quite important. Yes, I, I actually now that you that you bring it up, it's true. The sense of community is something that is usually really cherished for, for from people who are growing up because it makes them part of something bigger than themselves. Is this something that you track to being uh, forming your character to become like an international civil servant? I, I guess. I guess it was because um, since the early age, uh, I was, um, I would say, pushed to take some leading roles and, 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 and being a part of different projects within the community, uh, either at the at the town level or at the neighborhood level. Um, and and in, in small town like this, uh, the options are either you go into the rural activity, either you go into the private business, or either you go into politics. Uh, so those with some, I would say, a, um, interest or profile that goes into public interest Normally, are people that are called into politics, and, and it was more or less the case. Although I was never ready to do that, I was always uh, more into um, into the academic um, side. I was more um, always looking for um, in the different stage of my 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 uh, in my different periods of of my evolution. I was always more interested in, I would say, academic, academic activity rather than being involved in, in politics or in, in, or in other well, Was this uh, something to do with your family? Well, the, the family is a very diverse uh, um, uh, origin. They are very locals. This is people that arrive in Colombia from different parts of the world um, in, in a wave of immigration quite... Um, uh, some time ago, I would say the early 18th century, and since then they were living there. And and my father was more into agribusiness, um, and my mother was more into commerce activities. Both very active, and very engaged, um, particularly engaged with um, the community. Uh, they were, I would say, civil society uh, leaders that care about other people a lot and that's something I, I 
I would say I learned by by experience uh, the relevance of doing that. Uh, so I would they were not not really much into legal issues, and of course not a lot at all in this international uh, environment that that comes later on in my life used uh, by accident. Um, so this academic uh, pursuit was it entirely because of you? Then you would say? Yes, I would say that I was I was quite keen in researching at the at the school um, level and and later on at the when I was in the university I I did enjoy doing research and conducting research and producing papers of documents uh, that that have different level of 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 interest um, and I did enjoy that since the beginning uh, so I would say uh, that's something that was sophisticated later on with the studies, but the interest was there since the, the beginning. beginning. Yeah. And you are a lawyer. I'm what, a lawyer. What, what drew you to the law? Well, that, that is a very good question, because I was supposed to be a medical doctor, oh. and I have a great deal of interest in medicine. And while I, when I, while I was in the university, my, my areas of particular interest were more those that are linked to medicine rather than law. Uh, but I studied in a Catholic uh, school, and, and, and those uh, that were leading the schools, that were um, uh, brother of the uh, Catholic community, they were quite good in, in identifying people's uh, skills and, and, and pushing people into what they considered could be a good uh, way forward. And, and in my case, they they brought me to be the director of the, the magazine of the school at the time. And through that, to get involved in, in, in issues that were, um, I would say, more close to uh, public policy profiles. Um, and then um, they, in several occasions, uh, insist and told me, look, if you want to pursue your interest in, in medicine, that's fine, but we see you more on, on um, law, on politics, in, um, in, in, in those areas that have more human impact. Of course, medicine have that, but it's one-to-one, it's, -one, it's patient to doctor. They were more pushing me into a, um, a, a roles with broader perspective, with the capacity to influence um, a large group of people. And you were receptive to that uh, idea because usually when you are young, you're not receptive to... <laughs> <laughs> totally right. I, I was open. Um, I took seriously the, the, the advice and I adventured into, into, into law. Um, what I discovered very early that was uh, also of great interest to me. So what I did is instead of getting into the law career immediately, I did a, a program that allows me to taste water and see whether it was, that was for me or not. I did that during one year, that I was following classes without being student and attending the university, but without being enrolled at the, at the law school. And years after that year, I decided that it was for me. So I, I, I took uh, law um, and I get into the law faculty at the time. And I mean, I, I saw a bit about your your CV. 
But then you also got interested in intellectual property. When was that? It, it was in the university. One of the, the areas in, white, in which I conduct research was, and, and the, one of the areas that I really liked it was the intersection in between different disciplines. Um, and, and one of those areas was IP law, because IP law is, is an intersection in between administrative law, international law, both private and public, commercial law, civil law, um, and, uh, and all those elements are there in, uh, in, when it comes to IP law. Um, it was not well known at the time in yeah. Colombia. It was not quite developed at the time. Um, so it was, that part was particularly interesting for me, the possibility of doing something that was relatively new uh, for, for those years. Um, and in fact, I did my, my uh, um, uh, JD uh, thesis on uh, IP. Uh, so since the beginning, I was, I would say, looking for that uh, field of law as an area of interest. And this was also something that you did professionally in, in Colombia. I did after war because then, then I started working in an IP law firm uh, where I worked for a while. Um, and then I moved into a big consultancy firm and, and um, I became the, the principal partner of the legal branch of that consultancy firm. And I worked there uh, for quite a while, for about uh, four or five years probably. It was the beginning of my, my career. And the main area of practice was IP and IP-related contracts. And, um, and, and, and I really enjoy working on that specific area. Um, and then I had the chance to move into something that was also extremely relevant for me, that was moving into the government as a very young uh, head of the Colombian in, 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 uh, Industrial Property Office. Um, and that was a great experience to me because it was a combination in between the technical field I like but with the vocational service uh, that I always have there and the possibility to serve uh, to a community. So that mixture made that position to be one that I really enjoy. Mm, and uh, when you were working at the, at the office, at the IP office in Colombia, you were also dealing with international topics or it was mainly domestic issues? It, it was a combination because um, uh, as a head of the office, you need to deal with all the prosecution related with trademark patents, design applications in front of the office, and that consumes a lot of your time. But at the same time, you need to deal with a number of policy issues, and those policy issues are always interrelated, interrelated with policies of regional level, like in the case of the Andean community, or with international level, as are the, the case of the discussions here in Guaypo. So in that role, I participate in building the Andean community legal framework and the Andean community system at the regional level. Um, and I participate in a number of uh, WIPO meetings in Latin America as Colombian official in, in technical discussions. And in, in, in one occasion even, I participate here in Geneva in one of those um, uh, committees in which IP different categories of IP I discussed um, and it was quite an experience to me to come to Geneva and to discover the organization uh, that I knew from outside 
but which is um, um, impressive, amazing, and extremely uh, interesting when you see it from inside. I, I will get back to the Geneva part, but I, I wanted to comment on this and hear your thoughts because, as I mentioned, I've, I've talked to many Colombian um, guests in this podcast, and my impression is that Colombia is a pretty important player in, in the multilateral arena. Uh, my impression is also that they're really qualified and that they are really influential. Would that also be your assessment? It, it is. It is without any doubt for, for, different, reasons, for different reasons. Uh, probably the first one is at the very high level of the public administration or the government structure um, since I would say 60s, 70s, Colombian president have been leading interesting process either at the at the Andean level it was uh, a Colombian president the one that uh, put all the foundations for the creation and construction of the Andean integration system but they did the same at the regional level through Aladi uh, that is another uh, uh, very uh, uh, relevant uh, uh, organization that precedes the Andean community and goes beyond the Andean countries and it was also Colombia very engaged there, and as you know, in the organization of American states, Colombian have been playing uh, a very important role uh, since uh, the beginning of that regional uh, organization. So Colombia has been able to play a very important role in, in those processes, and this has allowed to increase the professionalism of the Ministry of Foreign Affairs in one, one hand, and from government officials in the other. And in my view, that's probably the, the issue you, you were referring to. In the case of the public administration, one um, element that is important to highlight is I've been always surprised with the professionalism of public officials in the Colombian government. And, and these people are very professional, very committed, um, and well-educated. So this facilitates the, the role they, they have to conduct at the international level and, and the good presence of the country at the, at the international level too. So in my view, I, I, I do share your assessment about uh, that. Yeah, because in, in my view, it's something that it's more systemic. It's something that uh, started many years ago, what you said, like before the Indian community, through the Indian community. But I also see it here in Geneva, like every day with my colleagues from... Colombia and they're involved in every issue and at all levels. Yeah, uh, that's totally right. In the discussions in the different Geneva-based bodies and in other bodies uh, out, outside Geneva, uh, the level of engagement of Colombian is, is, Colombians is quite high. And, and the way they, they engage in those exercises with, with, with passion, but, but with a critical mindset also help also help. And, and on top of that, in my view, something that is working quite well is um, coordination in capital. In, in my view, there is quite good, um, quite good coordination in capital among the different institutions involved in those issues. And of course, that facilitates the, the, the task of diplomats abroad uh, to do their job. Mm -hmm. Now I want to go a bit back to something that you mentioned, that uh, you were involved in the process with the Andean community, and then you also visited Geneva. Is that when the, the seed was planted to 
maybe think, oh, maybe one day I'll come to Geneva. Well, uh, yeah, you are right. You are right. I mean, my visit to Geneva was a fascinating experience on, on the IP side because I discovered the organization um, and I discovered a city that I love since then. Um, I really like the, the city and what the city um, offer. So in that, in that sense, it was a, an excellent uh, occasion for me to get exposed to this international agenda, to this international discussion, and, and with the flavor of multilateralism that uh, in Geneva is quite present. But, but no, I went back to Colombia convinced that I would continue uh, a very local practice. My, my path through the government was planned to be use a transition before I moved to my own private practice, and that was the plan. So when, uh, when, when I continue in my job as head of the IP office, I really have nothing in mind different to the fact that at a certain point I will be coming, um, coming back to my own private practice, either in a firm or in my own firm, but that was, that was the plan. But then, um, then um, something that I didn't consider was um, at the time is that when you leave the government, there is a period of time in which you are not allowed to practice in the specific area. There is an impediment for yeah. you to practice in that specific area. And that period is, um, have been, uh, there have been some changes, but it's in between one and two years. And, and for people like me that make my life from my salary, is, is quite an issue when you cannot work in the area that you know be the best. Yeah. Um, so I was considering options, and I remember that at the time I was invited by an institution that is uh, well known in, 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 in Munich, the Max Planck Institute, mm -hmm. to spend a period of time in Max Planck conducting research. So it was the perfect time for me going abroad in, during that period and doing research that I love. Um, so I went to the Max Planck um, for about nine months. Um, I did um, um, what they have a visiting fellowship program um, in patent law and, and substantive patent law issues. That was a fascinating, fascinating period for me. Uh, Munich is also a city like Geneva with this international flavor, um, very technology oriented for many reasons, um, including the fact that the European Patent Office is there, the Dutch's Museum is there, um, and, and, and those, those elements make that city to be, to be a, a really interesting one. So I have a very fascinating time in Munich, and it was then when I considered the possibility of staying abroad uh, for quite a while before going back to my practice. Um, and in fact, there was a, an opening in WIPO, like the one that you see today, uh, quite regular openings in the WIPO website. Um, it was an opening in WIPO, and I applied uh, without being in particular or specific contact with friends here because there were not that many. I used new few people in WIPO through my, my work, but not that many. So I used apply, and the process went very well. And that's probably one of my recommendations. I always make when I travel all around the world, people always reference to me how difficult it is to get into WIPO. And I said, no, it's not that difficult. Uh, there are openings. Um, sometimes the, there is a combination of many elements. Timely plays a role. Sometimes 
They are looking exactly for what you offer. And if they are looking for what you offer, then it will work. Uh, sometimes what you offer is not exactly what the organization is looking for, then it will not work. But I always encourage particularly young um, and talentful uh, professionals all over the world to try the chances. And every time there is an opening, used to apply and, and, to, and to show what they have to offer and then see what happens. It may work well, it may not, and if it not, there will be other opportunities coming. But in my case, it worked very well. Actually, this is something that I also... It's one of the reasons why I started this project, because many people ask me about this. How do you work in the international arena? How, and my advice is always apply. If you can start doing an internship, then that's the door that maybe it can lead to something. But as you said, like it depends on many other factors. It's uh, But that's what you can do yourself and continue working. And that's a very good advice because internship programs are an extremely important way to open the door and to show your competence and your skills and, and your knowledge. And not all uh, interns can stay, that's for sure. But many of them stay or many of them use come later at certain stage uh, with some experience and an additional background. And, and the organization is very eager to, to get this new blood and these new, um, new people uh, reinforcing Uh, the staff of the organization and making this organization as rich in terms of multiculturalism mm. as, as the organization is. Um, so now talking about your first role at, at uh, WIPO, was it on, on, it was on um, development, no? Yeah, yeah. I work in the um, um, Latin American Bureau, Latin American and Caribbean Bureau at the, at the time now. It is called Latin American and Caribbean Division, but it's, 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 it's a, the unit correspond. So I started there, um, um, and I have the advantage of bringing with me already technical experience. Um, technical experience because of my previous job, and, and knowledge in the field because of my previous studies. At the time, I already have conducted this uh, um, fellowship uh, Uh, research program at the Max Plan and, 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 and my experience in Colombia. So all this uh, allows me to bring with something that since day one I, I was able just to plug and start work, working in an extremely interesting uh, projects. But it allows me to start in a region that I knew quite well. Yeah. Um, uh, so my chances of success were higher because I was making proposal for a region that I know better than any other region. And that's another part. In my view, the entry point in the organization through the regional bureaus is quite positive because then you, you, you have the chance to do things in a region you know while you learn a little bit more about other regions and about the world. Uh, because at certain point, your responsibility will get expanded, but then it gets expanded when you also know those other cultures and you know those other regions. So I just started in Lac Bureau, and, um, and I have uh, the fantastic experience of, of being in charge of countries in South America, countries in Central America, and countries in the Caribbean. So I'm, I knew uh, in a better way, and I get familiar and acquainted with the different Um, nuances, difference, and priorities that exist 
in the same issues, because the issues are the same, but the approaches are sometimes different. And, and then they, they are linked to historical backgrounds, so they are linked to priorities or to uh, development, uh, um, I would say, directions that may differ from one country to another. So that experience in Latin America was short. I was there probably five years in the, in the Latin American and Caribbean Bureau, um, but it was a very enriching one. And then it was, uh, you went from there to patents. I, I moved from, from, from the Latin American and Caribbean division to the, the, uh, a division that was at the time called public policy division. And in public policy, our role was to work on different public policies in different areas uh, of IP. Patents was certainly one of those, but we get into other areas, trademark, uh, uh, designs, uh, traditional knowledge, um, handicraft, and, and other areas that are linked to IP at the time. So I worked there, and it uh, was a very a, a good experience in terms of getting into a more substantive work. I worked there for about five years, and that was, I would say, my chances to get back to substantive work um, mm -hmm. and, and, uh, and to enjoy again coming to those different legal and policy discussions on IP that are extremely uh, relevant and interesting. Um, and those, in my view, um, are example of areas that are becoming increasingly more complex uh, from time to time. When I started on, on IP uh, 30 years ago, um, I would say it was very plain discussions on the, on the issues, less, less complicated than today. Um, and, and probably what is at stake is we, we have um, economies that are more in, interconnected. Uh, we have uh, um, development uh, projects that are more different one to another. We have integration uh, programs uh, um, that are working well in certain regions and less well in others. Uh, you have the complexity of the multilateral legal system, uh, and all those elements are layers that add complexity to the yeah. discussions. So it's not as black and black and as and white as it was probably 30 years ago. It's more and more complex, but certainly that is what make IP a feel that is more and more uh, interesting. And dynamic. And dynamic, yeah. Um, but then you did eventually move to patents. Because I'm, I'm curious to, like, you've been working at the organization in different, wearing different hats. So it seems that you have, like, a broad perspective of what WIPO does. And then you complemented that with patents, which is probably one of the busiest areas in, in the in the in WIPO because of the PCT. Absolutely. I moved as a um, deputy director of the patent law division. And, and, um, and then I became a director of the patent law division. Um, my, my responsibilities there were mainly related to three areas. The first one was legislative and policy advice. The second one was multilateral treaties, other than PCT. PCT has a separate unit on, legislative, on, on, on legal issues, but the promotion of other multilateral treaties like the Paris Convention or the Budapest Treaty or the Patent Law Treaty were under my responsibility. 
And finally, the Standing Committee on the Law of Patents, that is quite relevant work because it's shaping the future of the multilateral system and, and being able to put forward agendas that are relevant to all member states. So I would say that these three areas are very different, um, but very relevant, all of them, in, in different in different ways. Let me give you a few, few examples. The first one, legislative and policy advice. The, the chances we have in WIPO to work together with governments and with different government institutions and with other stakeholders like NGOs, uh, private actors, in discussing what could be the element that needs to be considered either to put a patent, in, patent system in place or a trade secret or a utility model or an integrated secret um, system in place or either to revise a system that already exists but is not anymore matching the policy priorities is, a, a, is a, an amazing area of work in which you need to be aware of for example, which are the commitments, multilateral, regional, uh, national, but at the same time to be aware of what are the options for those countries in order to, among those um, options they, they have, implement the one that better fits into the national plans, national priorities, national projects, in order to be sure that IP really plays a role of, of being a development tool, of being a, a mechanism that creates uh, um, wellness for the people and, and development for the country. Um, so those are discussions that are extremely enriching, um, uh, particularly for us. Um, because if something has changed in the last 30 years, is when I started an IP, there were few experts. Many of those were here in Guaypo. So every time you, you go to the region, every time you participate in a meeting or consultation at the national level, the chances that you be the real expert were quite high. Today is not anymore that <laughs> the case. When you arrive to this meeting, you get people there that is better than you, yeah. people that know more than you, people that is in the field and they know exactly what the needs are. So we need in WIPO to push ourselves to a level of excellence to be able to effectively engage in those discussions. Otherwise, we are irrelevant, and the organization um, stopped to be um, a technical organization. Being a technical organization means we have something to say, we have something to contribute that at least is at the, is at the level of the local expert. Otherwise, we are um, irrelevant, and we become irrelevant. So this has changed dramatically in the last 30 years. I, I, I just want to touch upon that because when I actually started IP, it seems that it was, like you mentioned that when you first got into IP, it was not something that was really known. But when I started IP, which was like mid-2000, like mid I saw like a boom of LLM programs and everyone was starting IP. It was supposed to be like the next uh, big uh, thing. I don't know if the product that you're talking now, maybe it has to do with, with that boom. I, I'm, I'm convinced. I'm convinced because many of those programs um, offered in different regions of the world, in Chinese universities, in U.S. universities, in Brazilian universities, in Indian universities, in European universities, all those programs are training the, the, at the time when they started the future generation. And those that they thought 
validly we're going to be the future generation are the one leading today the IP offices or leading new programs of, of university, new university programs or leading IP law firms or leading, you know, leading what many of the stakeholders um, work um, at, the, at the international level. And we keep doing that. In my view, um, the role of uh, WIPO, for example, the, through the academy program, that partnership with a number of those universities in different regions of the world to be sure that the level of excellence is quite high is a, um, a very important one. And, and also the way they work in order to be sure that people that do not have enough resources uh, to finance uh, those studies can get WPO support to also go there, coming back to their own countries and sharing that knowledge with, with others. So I'm, I'm convinced, um, as you indicated, this is playing a very important role in, cre in creating this local expertise that is needed. And in my view, that's the right direction. We cannot see cooperation um, as a dependency link. Uh, with, we are the only that knows what is going on and they always need to come back to us every time they need something. Cooperation needs to be the capacity to build local capacity and local uh, expertise and knowledge in those countries that hopefully they come back to us because they need something deeper. And, and, and because it's different, because it's deeper, then we become again to be the, the, the right source for that help, but not coming back to do the same thing because the same thing they should be now able to do it after a plan or a project of cooperation with us. Uh, so in that in that sense, I'm I'm glad that we are helping to um, build that group of experts and and uh, at the national and uh, at the national level. Mm, and now you're an assistant uh, director general. I actually work here at WIPO, and two of the of the areas where I work was the arbitration center and uh, WIPO Lex, which. Both of them now uh, are under your portfolio. Exactly, exactly. <laughs> you are totally right. And I knew that you were one of those that helped those services to, to, to grow and to give uh, shape and direction to these two, two services. Look, um, yes, they are here. And they are here with, with, with in, my, in, in the sector with, with different roles. Um, the sector that has been put in place under the lead of the new Director General, uh, Darren Tan. Um, this is mainly an idea that he had been uh, nourishing for quite a while. And, and since he became Director General, he have now the chance to put that at the worldwide scale um, in order to help different uh, uh, stakeholders. The idea is that um, we should be able to mobilize our knowledge, expertise, to help different stakeholders at the, at, the, at the international level. Um, and we should be able to help them either to use the IP system, because they are not using the IP system, or either to get a better use of the IP system, because they know how to use it, but they can get even more of what they are doing. And in order to do that, what the sector is about is a um, different departments or divisions that um, with different approach help in this goal through basically um, two mechanisms. One, producing um, reports 
uh, papers, uh, documents that allows either policymakers, because some are not addressing policymakers, or either uh, right holders to take informed decisions. I give you examples. Um, we can refer to the work of the Department of Economics and Data Analytics. One of the documents they produce is the uh, Global Innovation Index. Mm. And this Global Innovation Index contain very relevant information about inputs and outputs that allows to, to, to uh, I would say, assess the innovation situation of a given country uh, according to those parameters. So of course, this is a very relevant tool for a uh, policymaker at the national level in designing the, the innovation policies. Uh, but on the other hand, we produce, for example, a technology trend reports. And those technology trend reports are not talking about the economic situation, are talking about the technology situation. And those reports allows also policymaker or industry to take decisions about which is the direction they need to give it, need, need to give um, to give to the research or development they they are conducting. These two are examples of ways we can help those doing um, activities in the area of innovation or in the area of creativity through our work. Um, the second example that is not uh, the production of document, but is the direct help. Um, I can use the example of um, the work we conduct for a small and medium-sized enterprises, or the work we conduct for universities. In the case of universities, helping universities to identify IP policies, to uh, incorporate policy considerations in, 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 in the either research they are conducting or either in the activities of transfer of technology they are conducting, and those policy considerations we want to incorporate the IP component uh, to be sure that if there is something that deserves uh, protection, they can protect. And if there is a, a way to get benefit from the exploitation, they can get that, that benefit. Same apply to small and medium-sized enterprise. A very recent report of the European Union shows how in Europe only 9% of small and medium-sized enterprise own IP rights. So if this is the situation in Europe, that gives you an idea of what is the situation in other regions. So there is a huge space for work and with government, with national institutions, with, the, for example, partners like the Entrepreneur Association in a given country, we should be ready to implement projects and plans that are able to help small and medium-sized enterprise to get better benefit for IP. And, and benefit in a small and medium-sized enterprise, the benefit also goes um, to different other actors. In, in the same study I mentioned before, uh, the study make an interlink in between um, uh, firms' IP ownership and performance. And they measure performance in the sense of um, um, employees' uh, uh, um, uh, job opportunities and, and particularly uh, revenue for employees, uh, uh, the different level of revenue. And the study shows that in firms that own IP um, has a difference of 20% more of revenue 
per employee. Per employee. And um, if you make the distinction among the more than 120,000 firms that were um, consulted for this work, uh, you made the distinction in between large firm and small and medium size, this um, percentage goes even higher. In the case of a small and medium sized enterprise, the percentage is 68%. So the difference in employees' revenue in between a small and medium sized enterprise that owns IP and a small and medium sized that do not own IP is 68%. This is, this is huge. huge yeah. So this is a concrete impact um, that goes not only to the company itself, but it goes also to, to, to the people. And yeah. that IP is for the people. We need to care about the inventor. We need to care about the creator. We need to, cre to, to care about the entrepreneur. Um, and, and, and we need in WIPO to be an ally of those projects. Uh, we, we should do our best uh, for position the organization in a way that people think on us, uh, not only uh, in our role of norm setting, that is extremely important. I mean, if there is something important at the worldwide level is the legal structure that WIPO administer. That's without any doubt. If there is something important at the multilateral level is that the WIPO is the forum for discussion of those policy issues. This needs to continue and needs to be reinforced. But at the same time, we need to build um, um, projects, platform, uh, um, activities that allows to help people to get benefit from the system. Uh, these figures are pretty interesting. I should take a closer look to that. But uh, now that you are mentioning this that help with SMEs, I have two questions. First, how aware and how how do you coordinate with other organizations? You mentioned already a bit, but I'm talking more about the organizations here in Geneva that are also work looking at SMEs from another perspective. So how close is that collaboration, if there is? And second, right now during the pandemic, I think that e-commerce was highlighted as a pretty big area, not only of opportunity, of just being there in the market. Yeah. Uh, what's the view of WIPO and how are you coordinating this from an e-commerce perspective? Sure. Uh, that's an extremely valid point, both. Let's start with the first part, how we coordinate. Well, we are starting. As a sector, we started use January, uh, January 1st. So as a sector, this process of coordination is started, but many of those activities, you mentioned the arbitration and mediation center, for example, um, uh, those activities are coming uh, um, from a, a very long history and a very long experience. Our role of coordination in each one of those areas is, is essential. I mean, we clearly coordinate with all the um, UN and not UN uh, Geneva-based organization. I will give you an example in the case of a small and medium-sized enterprise. There are different organizations that are working in a specific, very concrete projects that are linked to IP. ITU is working on uh, startup companies in a very intensive IT sector with issues like standards are quite relevant, to give you an example. So at the end of the day, you are talking about the small and medium-sized enterprise. The same small and medium-sized enterprise we are talking about. And although the, the main relevance of the project may be standards, uh, the, the link in between standards and IP is that close that we have issues like standard essential patents. That is quite a key uh, issue 
of discussion from the policy perspective, but from the practical perspective also. So just to name one, um, and of course there are many other experiences of close collaboration. For example, the, the trilateral project in between WHO, WTO, and WIPO in issues related like trade, IP, and health is uh, a program that has been there for many years, producing very important results. Um, so we, we certainly close uh, we certainly have a close collaboration uh, with uh, Geneva uh, International Organization and with Geneva based all the type of stakeholders like um, uh, NGOs used to name a uh, few. Uh, to the second point, um, the pandemic uh, used highlight a number of issues that were there before but have been used exacerbated because of the because of the situation. One was innovation. Innovation had been there, uh, and, and, and the very intense activity of innovation had been there uh, for many years, and we know how countries and industries relied on innovation for their own uh, survival, or, or for the uh, uh, development uh, at the national level development um, uh, programs. But uh, something that was very clear during the pandemic is what the society was calling for was for innovative solutions in terms of medical devices um, that, that were developed under the pressure of time, to medical treatments to deal with the, with, with the problem, and a vaccine that avoid uh, uh, the, uh, the, pandemic, uh, the pandemic to continue. All those issues were uh, there clearly linked to innovation role or, or with the innovative activity of the different, uh, different actors. So innovation is something that came use reinforced from the process. Um, and probably what was added was the clear call for um, international collaboration because under the pressure of time, you don't have the luxury to do in 10 years something that if you get together can do in one or in two. And this was a clear call from civil society, but it was a clear action from different stakeholders, in particular universities and, 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 and companies that were ready to get together and to partnership to come with solutions, as many of the ones uh, we know. That's, that's something that in my view is clear. The second is, uh, it was a shock in terms of supply, it was a shock in terms of demand, and without doubt, areas like uh, tourism, um, hosting, um, where uh, travel were affected in a dramatic um, a way. But new areas, like um, business online, um, new areas as IT communication in order to facilitate virtual meetings. All those were used the sorts of new development and, and, and enterprise that were exponentially uh, growing because of the market opportunities that were there. And, and uh, certainly uh, online trade uh, is one of those that uh, during the pandemic and most probably after the pandemic will continue benefit benefiting from a new, new way of consumers to, 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 to interact. It exists before, but here we were forced. There was no other way. I mean, 
you have no chances, at least during the lockdowns, to go to the shop. Yeah. The only way was ordering online. So there was a push for that, that um, 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 I would say from the market side that create uh, on the supply side uh, a need to accommodate to the new volume of the transaction taking place. And this is impressive. Yeah. One just last thing, because I know that you have to go, but I want to hear your thoughts on, you were talking about the innovation ecosystem that WIPO fosters and is part of it uh, through the IP system. And a big part of the innovation that happened during the past year was because of that ecosystem that's there for the creation of a vaccine that should have normally taken 10 years and it was really fast. I don't know if you are really familiar with the discussions that we are having at the WTO, but there's now a request for a waiver on on trips. How do you do you think that this progress and this innovation that happened so quickly would have been possible without the IP system that allowed it to yeah. happen? Yeah, my, my, my view is um, when, when you ask innovators company what they think about IP, Uh, and what is the role of IP in getting all those success and achieving what they achieve in, 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 in the innovation activity, all of them are of the view that plays an extremely important role. And, and that is a voice we need to listen because they are telling you, look, this is important for us to, to keep our innovative uh, activity. So that is a voice that needs to be heard without any doubt. So in, in, in that sense, I would uh, say from the um, IP perspective, uh, all what the IP system can do to be sure that society can benefit from the fact that there are innovators ready to take the risk of innovation should be done from the IP perspective. Now, in getting the balances of what is right, what is going beyond, what is going below, uh, there are, uh, at the multilateral level, forces that allows those equilibrium, those equilibrium to be reached. When in the Doha round, um, some of the right holders right were, um, um, I would say, increased, or the scope was expanded. Um, that was done with the intention to promote more innovation. And at the same time, some limitations were introduced, like the limitation on areas like compulsory license, or limitations like waivers in the entry into force of the whole TRIPS agreement, or the entry into force of sectant provisions in areas like pharmaceutical. And those waivers were part of the equation, were part of the balance. So I guess um, discussing new elements of balance is always something that can happen, but I'm, I'm, I'm sure um, the way to get um, positive development is that whatever discussions take place, 
consider to move forward into a direction with balance are maintained. Well, I think that you really covered a lot of ground in this conversation. Is there anything else that you would like to say before closing? Many thanks, many thanks, Rolfo. No, very happy to be here with you and with your audience that I know is not only large, but growing. Uh, <laughs> Hopefully. So, congratulations <laughs> for that uh, work. Uh, excellent project. Uh, my best wishes for you to continue in, in that direction. Thank you, Marco. It has been really interesting and thank you for the conversation. Many thanks to you. If you enjoyed this conversation, please let us know by liking, subscribing and or reviewing. The Rodolfo Rivas project is available on all major platforms and you can also find us on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook and LinkedIn. Okay.